Luke chapter 1, verse 67 to 79. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestor and to remember his holy covenants, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hands of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. I'm conscious there are some Pathfinders in with us still, and to you I want to quickly say, if history is not your favourite subject, then I'm very sorry, because we're going to start with another history lesson, um, so if not your favourite subject, it's not your day. Um, lots of you, whether you're in Pathfinders or older, lots of you will know um, that in the Second World War, early on, um, France had to surrender to Nazi Germany and was occupied for four years. Um, during that time, life in Nazi-occupied France was miserable. And the Nazis enforced very strict rationing, which meant people had about half the amount of food that they needed, uh, which meant that you had to choose, do I go hungry or do I sell my clothes to buy food on the black market? Uh, the Nazis also saw France as quite a convenient source of free labour, and so you could be conscripted and forced to work for the German war machine. Uh, any opposition to the occupation would be brutally and violently stamped out. If you were found to be in the French resistance, um, you would be executed. Um, probably your family would too, and possibly your whole village. Um, four years of brutal and humiliating occupation under the boot of an evil enemy. Um, but imagine that you're a French farmer in May 1944, uh, and to your shock and surprise, you get a very top-secret letter from General Dwight Eisenhower, who's the supreme commander of the Combined Allied Armies, and he's written you this. Um, Dear Pierre, good news. On the 6th of June 1944, just a few weeks from now, we're going to send in two million soldiers and they're going to drive out and defeat your enemies and bring you freedom and peace. If you're a French farmer under Nazi occupation and you hear that news, are you not overjoyed about what you know is just about to happen? Rescue is just around the corner. Our enemies are going to be defeated and life will be as it should be. 
Well, Zechariah, who's the person whose words we're reading this morning, he found himself in a situation a bit like that. He was told by God that a terrible and brutal occupation that he was under, under the boot of evil enemies, was just about to end because rescue was just around the corner. Rescue that God had promised a long time ago, um, but not a rescue like in 1944 from enemy soldiers, a rescue from all that is broken and wrong with the world and with people. Rescue from an enemy that's oppressed the human race for thousands of years, uh, but it's just about to be defeated. And so Zechariah sings this song of praise to God. See how he starts in verse 68, uh, Zechariah's song. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. And this is a song about rescue. And this morning we're going to listen to Zechariah's song of praise. And my prayer is that we'd understand more deeply what Jesus has come to do and that we go away from here praising him and loving him all the more. Um, If you're here this morning and you're not sure what you think about Jesus, or you're not really sure what he's about, um, then this passage gets to the very heart of who he is and what he came to do and why he matters for you. Um, He's come to fix all that is broken and wrong with the world. Uh, He's come to end the occupation of sin and death and bring eternal life and peace with God. So let's dive in. And if you've got the handout, we're at point one. The promised saviour has come. And we're mainly looking at verses 68 to 75 for this bit. It's quite important to note um, that for Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, uh, the last nine months before this had been pretty strange. Um, They've appeared earlier in Luke's Gospel um, in the chapter, and we know a few things about them. We know that they don't have children, And we know that they are very old, long past childbearing age. And that means that when Zechariah was told by an angel that he and his wife were going to have a baby and that that baby would prepare the way for God's coming salvation, Zechariah had some quite significant doubts. Um, If someone told you that your grandparents were going to have a baby, um, would you believe them? Well, Zechariah didn't believe the angel when his wife said that they were going to have it, when, when he said that his wife was going to have a baby. And for his unbelief, the angel said, fine, for the next nine months, until the baby's born, you won't be able to speak. And he couldn't. So for nine months, Zechariah could not speak. That would be quite a tricky one to explain to Elizabeth that evening, wouldn't it? I mean, I don't know what the sign language is for, good evening, darling. I know we're in our 70s, but we're going to have a baby, and that baby is going to prepare the way for God's salvation. That is quite a complicated conversation to have if you can't talk. And well, nine months later, Elizabeth has that baby. They name him John, as the angel said that they should. And at the moment he's named, suddenly Zechariah is able to speak again. And amongst his first words for nine months are the ones we read a moment ago and the ones we're looking at this morning. Because he's had a long time, nine months, he's had a long time to sit and quietly think and read his Old Testament and pray. And he knows exactly what God is doing. And he knows that the arrival of his son, John, 
means God's massive promised rescue has begun. Baby John is not the rescuer. He is the sign that the rescuer is just around the corner. In fact, we know that the rescuer is three months away in Mary's womb. Mary is Zechariah's wife's cousin. Um, just three months away, six-month-old baby in Mary's womb, the size of a courgette. But he is the king that God has promised will rescue the world. Um, see that there in verse 69. Um, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Finally, the rescue is here. God's king has come. He's only moments away. And one of the things he'll do when he arrives is there in verse 74. He's going to rescue people from the hands of their enemies. And point 1A, if you like, following along on the handout. Um, now, at the time that this was written, uh, God's people were being ruled and occupied by the Roman Empire, a massive, terrifying, powerful enemies who'd take lots of taxes and they'd kill you if you rebelled against them. So when Jesus came, understandably, um, lots of people, including some of his closest followers, thought that he'd come to drive out the Romans. Who are God's enemies? The Romans. Jesus is going to come and drive them out. Um, but these verses are talking not about the Romans but about a bigger, scarier, more powerful enemy with bigger teeth and sharper claws, an enemy who's been occupying for a long time. I think the enemy this song has in mind is death. Can you have, please, a look at verse 79, just to see I'm not making that up completely? At verse 79, God's salvation means that a light will shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. And that is the enemy that Zechariah has in mind. That is the enemy Jesus has in his sights. Um, now, for some, death is a bitterly familiar enemy, and you don't need anyone to tell you how terrible it is. For others, it might seem a rather distant enemy. I've got friends in their 20s who've never been to a funeral. Um, if you're 11, it might not seem like a very big deal right now. But anyone who's had to face up to their own mortality or the mortality of someone they love knows what an unwelcome and wicked and cruel enemy death is. And that will be all of us one day. And the Bible absolutely sees death as the unwelcome enemy that spoils everything and cuts short human life. We walk in the shadow of death Prophet Isaiah says that death is like a great big shroud, a great big sheet that covers the whole world. It is a cruel, unwelcome enemy. And we're not just talking about physical death, but spiritual death too. Sinful people who've rebelled against the living God don't just suffer spiritual death, uh, physical death, but also spiritual death, eternal separation from God and all his goodness. And death is a terrible enemy, but God promised he'd send a saviour to destroy death. He promised to swallow death up forever. And as Zechariah holds his baby John in his arms, he knows that that saviour is just around the corner. And John would prepare the way, and then Jesus, the saviour, would come and rescue people from the hands of death, the most terrible enemy. 
I hope that is of great comfort to know that God knows the anguish and sorrow death causes. He knows it is a problem and he has sent a saviour to destroy it, just as he promised he would. Now, if that sounds impossible, and if it does sound impossible to you, then I understand, um, we we are going to think about how Jesus does that in a moment. But first, we're going to look at the second thing God promised that his saviour would do. So, uh, second little subheading under that first point, uh, and verse 74 again, what will the saviour do? Um, He will enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all our days. Um, I think probably one of the most dangerous jobs in the world is anything that involves handling highly radioactive material. We've seen it in films and documentaries. You've got to wear kind of triple lead-lined whole-body suit and all the right masks and goggles and protective stuff. Uh, And you have to be so, so careful handling this radioactive material because, um, you know, one mistake and it will melt your face off. Um, That is what you're dealing with. You know, how scary to have that job. One mistake, you're dead. Wrong wrong protection, wrong clothes, you're dead. And think how disastrous it's been when people have made mistakes. And think how many people died when the Chernobyl power plant went into meltdown. Look, maybe, maybe this will be helpful. For God's people in the Old Testament, knowing God was absolutely wonderful um, because he is wonderful. Um, but it was also terrifying because he is awesome and terrifying in his holiness and righteousness. But by contrast, his people were rotten, wicked sinners who disobeyed him again and again and again. They were unfaithful to him again and again and again. They could not get it right. Now, in the Old Testament, God said to his people, look, if you obey me, it will be brilliant for you, and I'll bless you abundantly, um, and it'll be wonderful. Um, But if you disobey me, um, it will be terrible. I will curse you, um, and I'll punish you because of your sin. And God is so holy, he just can't allow sin to go on. And the problem was that the people were so sinful that they messed up again and again and again and again, And that meant that again and again, they faced the consequences. And God was hugely patient again and again, but he couldn't ignore sin. And the people just couldn't get it right. So they were always serving other gods or being terrible to each other or towards God, unable to live rightly. I think how terrifying that is, knowing that God has called you to obey him and to love him, but being unable to live the way the holy God has commanded, and instead deserving his anger and punishment. Um, Like working at a nuclear power plant, but you keep on making mistakes and wearing the wrong clothes. Terrifying and deadly. Well, God knew there was a problem, and so he promised he'd send a saviour to fix people. Uh, Look what that saviour would do. Verse 74 again. Um, He will enable us to serve him without fear. He said, one day, you will not need to worry about whether you might mess up and incur God's anger. Um, You will be able to serve me without fear. And if that sounds impossible, then I think that means we're beginning to get a sense of how massive that promise is. 
A bit like the first promise sounds impossible, defeat death. But those are the things that God promised his rescuer would do when he arrived. And Zechariah knows that. He's been spending the last nine months thinking about what God said in the Old Testament and thinking about what the angel told him. And he knows the rescue's begun because three months' time, Elizabeth's cousin Mary is going to have a baby Jesus and he will be that rescuer. Um, Zechariah has heard that the brutal and terrible occupation is coming to, end, coming to an end. So how else can he respond but with those words in verse 68? Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. Um, I hope it's encouraging to see that two of the biggest problems in the world, death and sin, are the very things that God promised he's going to come and fix. No small measures, no papering over the cracks. Jesus gets right to the heart of the problem. And I hope that for most of us, those things that God promised are things that we want. I think of a world where death no longer spoils everything, but instead it's life forever unspoiled. And think of death no longer having a hold on us or on people we know. And for people in this room who are following Jesus, that is the future Jesus has come to bring. Or think of a world where sin no longer spoils our relationship with God. Think of those things you've done that make you deeply ashamed when you think of them, the things that you hope the person sitting next to you never finds out about. Jesus came so that God might never hold those things against you. Um, or, or think of the thing that you are, the sin you're particularly struggling with right now, whatever it might be, and the battle is hard. Uh, Jesus came so that God might never hold that thing against you. And, and ultimately, for people who are trusting in Jesus, he will so dramatically and radically and comprehensively change us and fix us that we won't even sin anymore. We won't even want to. I hope we can see what a better world that would be. That is precisely what Jesus has come to do. But the big question, I think, is how will he do that? Those promises seem massive and impossible. How will he do that? Well, we're at point two, and we're going to look at the second half of the passage, and we're going to see some big clues. Zechariah is holding his uh, his baby in his arms, And he speaks to baby John in verse 76. You, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people knowledge of salvation. And just see what sort of salvation he's preparing them for. Verse 77. To give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of of their sins. And those two big problems, death and a broken, fearful relationship with God because of sin, can you see how those things are fixed if through Jesus our sins are forgiven? And if it's because of my sin that my relationship with God is broken and I I can't serve him without fear, well, well, if Jesus gets rid of my sin, that won't be a problem anymore. If it's because of my sin that I face death, physical and eternal, spiritual, well, if Jesus gets rid of my sin, 
then that won't be a problem anymore. Jesus, the courgette-sized baby in Mary's womb, was born. He grew up and he was nailed to a cross and killed. And on the cross, he faced all God's anger at sin that people deserve. And he died the death that people deserve. And his death on the cross wasn't a mistake, but part of the plan. It was the very reason he came. And Christmas happened so that the cross could happen. And in Jesus' death and resurrection, death the enemy was defeated and sin was dealt with. And Zechariah knew the rescue was coming. He knew the occupation was about to end and he knew the enemies were going to be defeated. Uh, We're standing, aren't we, in 2023 in a slightly different position. Uh, We've seen the battle fought at the cross. We've seen the victory parade at the resurrection. We've seen so much more than Zechariah saw. The things he looked forward to, we can look back at. And glance at verse 78 with me, please. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And we can look at Jesus' finished work at the cross and say that was where God's tender mercy was poured out. And that was when a light shined on those living in darkness. Anyone who's trusting in Jesus has had their sin washed away and forgiven so that now God doesn't look at you like a wretched sinner, but as a holy and righteous child, enabled now to serve him by the Holy Spirit, and confident now of eternal life with him when he returns. If you're unsure about Jesus, not sure what he's about, not sure you want to follow him, I hope that seeing this song has helped you think about him. Jesus can seem a bit unnecessary if we think that what he's come to do is help me with my schoolwork or help me with my career um, or come to give me a really happy, easy life. If that is what we think Jesus came to do, um, well, one, we've completely missed the point, and two, we'll quickly see that we don't really have any need for him or at the very least, he's just a nice addition in my life. But that is so different to what these verses say, isn't it? He's not come to make us happy and successful. He's come to save us from sin and death and give us eternal life. Um, He's not like, if we go back to the military occupation, he's not like the UN dropping care packages on war zones to make life a bit more bearable. He's more like NATO rolling in with thousands of tanks and ending the war by defeating the enemies and bringing freedom and peace. For those of us in the room who are following Jesus, it can be easy to lose sight of quite how important and wonderful this is. If you find that that is true for you, you are not alone. Other things can distract or crowd Jesus out. And some may find that life is so wonderful and so easy, it's easy to think and act that perhaps I don't need Jesus. And some might find that life is so grim that it's easy to think that God can't do what he promised. Surely not. And that's why whoever we are, we constantly need to remind ourselves of the very salvation Zechariah is singing and talking about, 
Uh, We need to be reminded of our sin, of how helpless we'd be without Jesus, and of how wonderful the future with him will be. Through the forgiveness of sin, uh, Jesus releases us from death's grip. He enables us to know and love and serve God. And he guarantees us eternal life in God's new creation. And Zechariah heard that this salvation was just around the corner and he rejoiced and he praised God. We have seen this salvation and it is true for us if we're with Jesus. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. Shall I pray? Lord God, we praise you for your wonderful promises to save people from sin and death. We praise you for keeping these promises in Jesus. We praise you for the confidence we can have in him of sins forgiven, of relationship restored, and with life forever with you. Amen.